The Urban Broadcast Collective brings together the best podcasts on cities and urban life. Subscribe to us on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. PX50 today. I'm Jess Noonan and as always I'm joined by my co-founder, friend and colleague Peter Jewell. Oh Jess, nice. thanks for the introduction. You're it's always welcome. lovely to be with you um, <laughs> on our 50th PX interview. I know, how does it feel? Um, Did you imagine four years ago that we'd be here? I'm very humbled by all the great people we've interviewed and mm. all the people who've given so much time and the sponsors, Jess, it's 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 really humbling, as I said. Sponsors past and present, um, including Song Bowden and Victorian Planning Reports, and to all of our wonderful podcastees. That's yes. my new term for podcast guests. And I'm very podcasties. grateful to our listeners who take the time in their busy lives to listen to our podcast. Now, today is an extra special day. Not only is it our 50th episode, but we have a new sponsor in the Victorian Planning Environmental Law Association, also known as VIPLA. VIPLA... Uh, is a uh, organisation that covers many professionals in the planning, design, development field. Uh, it is celebrating its 30 year uh, this year, and it is a wonderful um, facility uh, uh, organisation that facilitates discussion uh, and bonding, and uh, has been a great benefit to the state. So, shall we start, Jess? We shall. Today we're joined by the wonderful Olivia Christie from Armitage Jones, a Melbourne-based property development and project management consultancy. Olivia is a co-director of Armitage Jones along with Sonia Miller. I really enjoyed the little anecdote of how Olivia and her business partner Sonia met as ball kids at the Australian Open, when neither of their tennis careers took off, which is very surprising by the way, they, they similarly pursued an interest in the property industry. Many years later, they met up in the Victorian development team at FKP Property Group and kept plotting and planning over many glasses of wine to eventually set up a team of dynamic and creative thinkers and problem solvers at Armitage Jones. Welcome to the show, Olivia. Thank you for having me. Olivia, can you tell our listeners a bit about your background and how did you get into project management? Uh, and sort of what qualifications preps you for this sort of Yeah, role? so I started um, in construction. So I did construction management at RMIT here in Melbourne um, and spent the first probably seven or eight years of my career working on site for generally tier one builders. Um, I was really fortunate during my early years, after sort of my third year out in the industry to work over in Puerto Rico in the Caribbean. So I was working with Cochrane builders at the time. So had the opportunity to work over there um, and then came back and joined Balderstone. And after probably, yeah, sort of six years or so in the industry, I was, um, I was out on site. I was actually building, working on a, the maximum security men's prison out in Deer Park. And it was a six o'clock on a Saturday morning and uh, the Earthworks contractors were working away. It was the middle of winter and I thought to myself, how did we end up here on site, you know, like I was involved in one, what I believe is a small part of the process, which is the, the, the construction phase. And um, at that point, I um, went back to uni and did my master's in property and then, um, yeah, joined the, the dark side of development. 
And can you tell us a little bit more about Armitage Jones? What's the story behind the name? Uh, the name is actually Sonia's, my business partner, Sonia's mum's maiden name and her husband's mum's maiden name. So, oh, um, so we nice. uh, we thought that Christy Miller didn't have the same ring to it. <laughs> so um, we thought Armitage Jones sounds um, sounds like we know what we're doing, basically. <laughs> it's, it's a very old school sort of name. It is, it. Yeah. yeah. I like it. And what does a normal day look look like for you? Um, What does a project manager do all day? So we do spend time on site, probably not as much time on site as people think. Um, We do have a lot of meetings. A big part of our job is understanding the requirements of our clients and um, how the buildings that we're developing need to operate. And if it's an office building, how people are going to work in that building. If it's a hospitality venue, how that will operate. So we spend a lot of time understanding the businesses um, of our clients and and how these buildings need to operate so that we can brief that. The project brief is a really big part of our our work. On that point, how do you find out? Say you've got a new, like a hospitality venue. I know you do a lot of hospitality work. Yeah. How do you learn about what the client's needs will be in the building? Yeah, so it's about asking the right questions. You, it's the, the process is, is generally the same where you ask questions around how they will operate. So when it's a hospitality venue, we actually work with the chefs. Um, that's why we really enjoy that sort of work. We're involved from concept phase. You know, is it going to be an Italian restaurant, a Japanese concept. Um, and then we actually get in there in the kit with the, the chefs and work out... To see the layout and things like that? Yeah, so we mm. start with that. And, you know, the often what is the boring aspects or the unsexy parts of the project, which is, you know, services and structure and those sorts of things that you don't see, is, is really the key to it. So we start from the core and then work our way out. But it's really asking questions and getting involved as to, to how, the, how the, they intend it to work. So other than hospitality, what other types of projects do you work on? Um, Predominantly commercial office and large mixed-use projects. So Sonia and I, when we set out and um, and founded Armitage Jones, we made a conscious decision to steer away from the big um, residential towers, which we had done in the past. And um, whilst we, you know, it's great to be sort of developing a big tower in the city, we don't really, didn't feel that they were of a quality. The actual living um, living outcome for the, the residents that live in those buildings is great. So um, our background was also, we'd worked with big institutional um, developers. Um, I'd been at Charter Hall and Sonia had been at ISPT. So we made a conscious decision to really focus on the commercial office market because we knew that there was really a niche um, and a missing link where a lot of project managers had experience in residential projects um, and we knew that that would sort of be a point of difference for us and it's really proved to be to be that. So large mixed-use projects, um, those big office developments often incorporate hospitality and retail, so we hadn't made a conscious decision to focus on retail. Um, and we do residential projects, but generally more boutique um, residential projects. Like your own development? Yes. Yes, yes. which is my next question. Yep. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about that process? Yeah, so um, in founding Armitage Jones, Sonia and I always had the intention to, to do our own developments. So um, sort of after three years of founding Armitage Jones, we founded Dynamic Property Group, which is our property development arm. Um, it was about... Um, getting a team, growing our Armitage Jones team and having a team behind us that then could deliver our own projects. So um, it also means that we, we're not sort of desperate to find sites and, you know, keep that development pipeline going because we have a cash flow and, and another business in Armitage Jones. So um, we're just completing our first project at the moment, which is Elwood Park in Elwood and um, overlooking Elstonwick Park and the lake there. Jess, I turned on the TV one night watching Your Money, a finance program, and who should be there but Olivia and her partner. <laughs> yes, I can't National believe how many TV. people watched that. 
<laughs> National TV. Yes, yeah. So um, that, that's been really exciting. It's been great to be able to um, apply everything that we've learnt over the years and, and do it for ourselves. So that's in construction now. So we're almost at the bottom of the hole in the basement. So we'll be coming out of the ground, which is exciting. Amazing. And, and what have you learnt doing something hands-on that you didn't know before? Um, oh, sorry, sorry we, with the skin in the game, I yeah. hate that expression, but what yeah. did you learn being the client? Um, probably two things. First of all, and both Sonia and I say this, that we we realised that we always had approached projects like they were our own, that we did have skin in the game, so it kind of felt no different. Like, we always really watched budgets and programs and all those sorts of things. Um, but the key thing, interestingly, talking about planning today, was the planning process and how we approach that. Um, we we followed a process where we consulted with the neighbours even ahead of submitting our plans and and often we'd worked with clients who didn't want to tell anyone anything and you know didn't want to speak to the neighbours, tell them what they were doing, almost being quite secretive about it and we always felt that a more collaborative and open approach was going to be the best way to do that and we, um, you know, whilst it, we got through planning eight months, didn't end up in VCAT and you know in Elwood in an, an area where you could sometimes expect that that might happen. So it was really great that we kind of backed ourselves and how we would approach things and it really sort of turned out exactly as we would have expected. And uh, so you got through the planning process. And what did you learn about the planning process going through it yourself? Um, just the, that importance of, of consultation and being open with the neighbours. So um, we did a, did a door knock and a letterbox drop if people weren't home and just let them introduce ourselves because we purchased two houses, sites about 1,200 square metres in, in Elwood. So... Um, we had an apartment block on one side and sort of three houses at the back and one on the side. So we had about 20 neighbours that were immediately impacted by um, our development. So we um, we opened ourselves up and just said, look, we're happy to catch up. We had cups of tea with the neighbours, told them what we were proposing to do, understood, asked them what their, any concerns that they had and we were able to incorporate things like additional landscaping and those sorts of things where people had concerns about um, overlooking and privacy and all that sort of stuff. And um, so that process and then um, understanding also that initially we only had um, eight objections but then one of the neighbours rallied everyone up and we ended up with 21. Um, that was probably the next learning curve is that that was actually a good thing in the end because we didn't go straight to VCAP, we went to a, um, a community consultation and that process allowed that particular neighbour to understand um, what our rights were effectively and the councillors in that community consultation meeting talked about the fact that um, they'd never seen two developers complete such an extensive consultation with the community and actually consider um, the, the area that we were developing and making sure that we were providing a really good outcome. They just sort of explained to that particular neighbour, you know, we could have really pushed the boundaries and but we'd actually really considered how the building sat within the landscape. We went there just to grab as much um, net sellable area as possible. So that was a really great process because there was a time when we kind of went, why didn't we just go for it and just go to VCAT and, you know, why'd we bother going through all this process? But that it really paid off in the end and we got the permit. Fantastic. And uh, Olivia, you would have been a very well-informed client for your architect because you understand buildings and you understand spaces. So it must have been a very interesting process for your architect. Yes, indeed, because a big thing for us is um, about how people use the spaces that we develop. We're really, really focused on people, both from um, the, the, the team that 
that works with us on our projects and also the end users of our projects and providing the best outcome for them. And that's why we're so excited about the well rating that's now in place in, in our office buildings and coming into residential buildings as well. So um, everything that we did and the, the brief was very, very clear on how people would live in these spaces and creating something like that. So. Um, yeah, and it was a quick process. It showed us just how quickly we can do things when we're not requiring approvals from consultants, uh, sorry, clients to get, get projects done. It was an extremely quick process and that's what the entire team said. And the best part was when we had our launch of the project, um, we had the team from, from Track there. We had um, our architects DKO, our interior designer, Mim, um, who all spoke at the event and everyone spoke with such passion about what a great process it was. And they all talked about exactly that, just that whilst they pushed us on certain things, we really listened to what they were saying and we pushed them back and it was just a really robust and, and, and quick process. So everyone, everyone generally makes money as well. You know, you're not re-documenting things. And so, yeah, it was good. That's good. And so how are you seeing the impacts of new technology within your industry and how is that affecting project management? Um, I think the key piece in technology is technology in buildings. Um, again, going back to people, our, we're really fortunate that we work on some really large commercial developments that have really big budgets and that's another reason why we prefer that to residential um, projects. We've got these um, institutional developers who are holding the building and owning and operating it for the long term so they're really, um, the key to them is, is making sure that it's technology proof and future proof from a technology perspective but the work that's happening now around how you make technology people focused and make people's lives and, and connecting people. So um, we're not quite there yet, but a couple of projects that we're working on, um, in particular with Charter Hall, one of our key clients, that is the, the focus, so it's really exciting. But from a day-to-day -day perspective um, in what we do, it's not doesn't really impact. We don't have anything in particular that assists us or, or um, or the like, but we um, definitely in the buildings that we're developing, what you're implementing. And again, it used to be more building focused, you know, it was like building management systems and things like that, but it's now coming back to people, which is really exciting. You know, what, what does their day look like? How can that technology help them throughout their day and help them to connect with people so they're not just, you know, rocking up to work and not talking to people and that kind of thing. Speaking of people, uh, as a project manager, how do you deal with slackers or difficult team players? Well, we're fortunate that we're a reasonably, we've a reasonably small team in the sense of some, um, we're, we're a team of 18, so there's nowhere to hide but, in but our team. <laughs> I, I meant more when, you know, when you've got a big collaborative, lots of consultants working on a project, and you know, sometimes you get those, pers those people who are grumpy or want to be, push their, you know, or difficult to yep. deal with. Yep. How do you, you know, control them and get them straight? Um, it's an interesting one. It is, it's always about relationships, isn't it, on these projects and, again, making a process pleasant for, for everyone. Um, we, we didn't, you, you sometimes do get that. We, I think we often just talk to them, give people the opportunity to, to better themselves. And if they don't, then, like I said, there's actually, we find there's nowhere to hide. We, we, particularly our clients, if you're not performing, you're effectively out. Like we've, and it's happened a lot, you know, over the years. And mm. even when I was working for those, when there's so much money at stake and timeframes are so, are so tight, mm. Mm. you just can't afford to have that. And so you identify it and you talk to people about it. We, we have chance. a lot of conversations about that sort of, about performance, definitely. Mm. Mm. Um, 
both within our team and and um, with other consultants. So yeah. And I'm talking about clients. What about unrealistic client expectations with budget and timing and things like that? How do you how do you people manage these things? We get a lot of that, definitely. You know why? Um, it's outlining a clear strategy. We've become really good at and, and just backing ourselves, backing our team members as well to say, you know, we know that they're going to say. You, you know, you should, you should be able to build it for less than that or you should be able to build it quicker than that or the planning process should be quicker than that. Um, it's getting more and more complex building. I really do believe from a regulatory point of view, you know, from building surveying, building codes, everything, it's a lot harder to build these days than, than it used to be. Making myself seem old here. but um, So just making sure that you have all that information to be able to go back and, and talk to your client and say, here's why. It's, it's trust. It's not, yeah, it's and trust it is, advice. yeah. And what happens when a project goes out of sync? How do you get that back on the track? Um, that happens all the time. So for us, and we actually, we always... That's a very honest answer. Yeah, and we, we actually say development is about keeping your options open for as long as possible. So that's, that's what we actually try and do all the time. We say, here's the path we're travelling down, here's what we know right now, and that's why we're heading that direction. But we may head up off in that direction or that direction, how are we going to ensure that we keep that flexibility to do that? Because development is about that market change, all those sorts of things, and that's where we believe Armitage Jones is different because we come from a development background and we get that stuff changes and we get that decisions get made up the line in corporate organisations or um, you know, a client might, if it's a hospitality venue, you know, they might sort of feel that its designs need to change, menus need to change, therefore kitchens have to change. So it's about saying, yep, that's fine, but then providing the information to say, here's what that program now looks like and here's what that cost now looks like. This is, you know, we can't do this with no program impact or cost impact, or maybe we can, but they know that we'll so be doing that, our best to find that. sounds like a very that. mature approach to take. Yep. And that whole idea, Jess, of flexibility and adaptability is what happens in life. Yeah, yeah it is. And you've got to be fluid. We're, we pride ourselves on being an agile team and um, and saying to our, you know, cause often our team members will come back and go, oh, you know, they've changed everything again. It's like, well, how great that, you know, we get to explore another option and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, you know, sometimes it's someone else's money that's paying for that. But, mm-hmm. you know, on our our, um, our Wesley Place project that we're managing for Charter Hall, it's a massive precinct. It's a hectare of land in the middle of a city. It's going to be the next green space in the city. Is that what Cox... Uh, Cox of the Architects mm-hmm. on that, and um, we during the tender we we changed the building from being a rectangle building to what is now a curved building that's concave in some areas. Once we got planning, the planning approval for that, and that was during the tender, so we were tendering two options at that point. And then we realised that we um, we didn't think part of the retail was working that well, so we went went to Charter Hall and said we think we need to change this and got all the, the reasonings why for that and they said yeah we think you're right to make this actually work so we took that back to plan. well actually in construction at the time so it's about finding ways to say you know we're not going to hit that level until then so we can actually we're not going to order that bit of facade until then and pushing the builder as well because the builder just wants to get it done and they hate changes um despite the fact that it's a variation but yeah getting um Getting, keeping those options open and that flexibility and exploring new ways of doing it and getting the best outcome. So when you get to the end, you go, how good that we were bold enough to, to go for that and look, it's a much better result. Thank you to Song Bowden Planners who offer excellent personalised service. Call Dave Song or Dan Bowden through details on our website. 
Also, we thank Victorian Planning Reports, our very first supporter. If you want the A to Z of planning decisions in Victoria and excellent editorials, please get yourself a subscription to the VPRs. Details on our website. Olivia, development and building is a, a traditionally male-dominated industry. Have you ever, I mean, have you experienced much backlash about? Is it anyone giving you a hard time about it? I don't know how this to explain is a, this. This is a fitting question given that International Women's yes, Day was last yeah. week. So I think you've had a few conversations probably around this. A lot, yeah. We get Sonia and I get asked this a lot. So um, I had nothing but support, particularly when I was in the construction industry. Um, my male counterparts were very, very supportive. When I did construction management at uni, I think I was one of five females in a class of 70. Um, and I know of, I think there's two others that, that still work in the industry. Um, the rest sort of dropped out. Uh, had nothing but support. Um, and then when I got into development, the same thing. Um, you know, organisations are really, really supportive. So I have never had anything, right down to the subcontracts, people often go, oh, what about the, the rough and ready subbies, you know, that, and, but they, when you show them the same respect and, you know, you're asking for their opinion, people want to be able to talk about what they're an expert in and, you know, you learn from them. So, and it's interesting, I was actually at a Women's Day um, lunch last week, International Women's Day lunch last week, and there was a psychologist working, uh, doing a presentation. She talked about the fact that it is about balance in organisations. So you actually don't want too many women. You want the balance of males and females. And at the moment at Armitage Jones, we've got um, our senior leaders, there's five senior leaders, we've only got one male. So I actually think, Sonia and I have actually identified the fact that we need more males in our team. So, um, and we, we very much believe that in the diversity of, of males and females. So in an industry that's male dominated, we actually need, need more um, more senior senior males in our team. There you go. One size doesn't fit all. Yes, that's so. right. So we're currently in somewhat of a building boom. What lessons can we learn from this? And I guess as part of that, the regulatory complexity of building has skyrocketed through that period. Mm, it has, <laughs> yeah. Um, for us, it is... We've seen like a lot of consultants, you know, building surveyors and, and others about fees getting pushed down. You know, it's very, very competitive. Um, again, that's why Sonia and I made the conscious decision not to work on those big residential towers because we felt that the developers or the clients on those projects expected very, very low fees. We know that it is a lot more complex these days building. There's a lot of more regu regulatory requirements and having the time and the right level of um, expertise on those projects to actually deliver it and understand, you know, knowledge is power, you know, something goes wrong on a project and you learn from that. And for us, it's about having the time for our team to, to knowledge share within our organisation. You know, we, we do project updates with our team where we talk about lessons learnt, you know, something's gone terribly wrong, you know, you found an asbestos in a project or, you know, a, a change in use that's triggered a whole lot of um, issues around building upgrades and things like that. And you don't, get the time to do that if you don't have um, if the, the right number of team members on, on projects. So we just don't work on projects where fees are getting pushed down because we actually know what it takes to deliver it. And we're seeing now that our particular institutional clients and all of our clients actually, they, they actually see the value in that. They, they have said, we would rather pay you more fees and have the right people on it. And we're actually at that point. So that's 
a really big thing. I think everyone's learnt from that because people have they just they just realise that you can't. The you race need to the, the bottom doesn't help. It doesn't at that. all. Mm. It doesn't. And I think we are starting to see that turn, particularly in what we do. Um, I think it'll always be the case in again big residential towers, potentially you know offshore developers who are just looking for the cheapest and looking for a profit. Whereas that's why we love working on projects where our clients have a long term hold. Um, strategy for the, for the assets and they want the best outcome. And, and particularly end users, I'm thinking of some hospitality people that are, are committed to that building, committed to those processes, so it's not just a building to flick. That's right, yeah, yep, exactly. Yep. Project management, management is about exercising a lot of discipline over budgets, the workforce, the, the, the materials, all sorts of things. There's, there's plenty that can go wrong. There is, yes. <laughs> and, and what typically goes wrong and what, what, what goes right sometimes that surprises you? Um, ooh, what goes wrong? Apart from budgets, consultants, <laughs> authorities. Apart from everything. Uh, unexpected um, buildings. It never ceases to amaze me that we learn on every project. And, you know, I think... The big thing at the moment is coming back to that, that regulatory um, requirements and the tightening on that. And um, we're seeing it from, you know, even our, our larger institutional clients through to our, our smaller clients on building upgrades at the moment, because there's not a lot of land left in the city, we're seeing um, a real focus on adding value to existing assets. And to do that, the upgrade requirements for fire and um you know, earthquake requirements, if you're changing the use from an office to, you know, hospitality or retail or something like that, um, the requirements for upgrades is a really big one where a lot of people have been caught out in the last probably two years. A lot of our clients that we've been working with, you never would have ex expected or anticipated um, what it was going to take to, to upgrade these buildings. So there's a, a real, that's probably a big thing. What goes right? <laughs> um, you found a you found a great new consultant or something like that. No, yeah, great new client. I don't know. Yeah, no, just um, for us, it's I think what in, in what's going right is our approach to it. Like we're there's no there's a lot of work out there, and we're in a very fortunate position that um, in founding the business we wanted to. Sonia and I sat out and said we want to work on great projects with great people. We want to actually work with great clients that really um, understand the value that we add. And I think that's that's what's going right for us at the moment and our team. And our team are really having a good time. They they know that they're working on great projects. So. I guess in the way we're delivering it and how we're approaching these projects, and you know, really standing our ground in relation to, you know, program and budget and what we need to resource it and how it needs to happen, the people really trust us. So, I guess that's going right. <laughs> and uh, is, is there any particular projects that you that you've got a certain fondness for that are completed that you've? I know you've worked on some large some things. Big ones, yeah. Mm. Probably the Wesley project that we're delivering at the moment, I think that's going to be amazing to create in that um, sort of eastern, northeastern city. Can you maybe explain to our listeners a little bit about it? Yeah, so um, the Wesley project is at 130 Lonsdale Street. It's the, the Wesley church that's been there for many, many years and it had an old grade car park that I think every everyone always parked at. Um, everyone would know it. And it's got a number of heritage buildings, the old schoolhouse building, the church, of course, the caretaker's cottage and the manse. Um, so Charter Hall, our client, are developing a 50,000 square metre tower um, that's 
almost fully leased. Um, that's in construction. We're about level eight at the moment. And we're repurposing all of those heritage buildings to food and beverage offerings and creating a new green space in the, in the city. So a new park. We've got the, Australia's oldest olive tree that sits on the site that we're, we're protecting. So it's just a really, you, you're not just developing a building and putting you know, a cafe in the bottom or something like that. And we're working with a client that's got a lot of foresight and they, they really want to make it you know, an amazing, amazing precinct. They actually own um, 150 Lonsdale Street next door. Um, we're also delivering, uh, there's a car park on the back of that, which we're demolishing, and it was announced two weeks ago that the Australian Federal Police are going there, so we're building a purpose-built facility. We've been working on that for about 12 months now, so it's been highly confidential, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, so just delivering that precinct a bit more so that it's what, what we will deliver for the people working in that precinct with that amenity, so the wellness spaces, the, the amenity and the hospitality, and providing a whole lot of choice around that hospitality, not just putting what people, you know, the usual stuff in there. It's going to be amazing. And we've introduced on that project a lot of our, um, some of our hospitality clients. So it's been the first project where we've actually delivered on what we set out to do, and that's introducing our clients to each other Gosh. to deliver great outcomes, which is great. I was about to ask that, whether or not you were able to draw on some of those hospitality yeah. clients that you have yep. um, to put them in there, so that's fantastic. And we have, yeah, yeah. which has been great. And it's just, and again, that's that value add that, that you, you're very proud of and you've been delivering on the, the last few years. It's sort of like it's all coming together in that project. Mm. So, yeah, middle of next year, it'll be done. So that's good. And what sources do you look to for new ideas in your work? Um, I'm a big believer in in travel and, and going. You know, last last year, um, my partner and I went over to um, to America and looked at, at wellness spaces over there. And um, you know, obviously, the work that we do with the Lucas Group, they um, I actually met up with Chris Chris Lucas and his team in New York, and um, were doing the the research for the the Sepia um, restaurant that's, that was announced a couple of weeks ago that we're delivering 80 Collins Street. So. Um, actually going, because you sort of look at it and go, where do people get these ideas from? It's actually from travel and experiencing different different places. So um, for me, it's around that. I love Instagram and, you know, the, what that provides by way of um, finding out about other places around the world. So we're really fortunate in the, the day that we live in that, um, that we can do that. But for me, travel, I'm really, really big on that. And many of our listeners are town planners and in allied development. Do you have any messages for people in those fields? Um, ooh. What would you like to say to your town planners? <laughs> town planners. Um, We've got a lot of government people in government sector, a lot of different private consultants. Yeah. Anything particular? Um, I think just the importance of um, of collaboration. You know, we. I think it's becoming more and more apparent just how much people want to work with people that it's an enjoyable experience where everyone's just working together for a common goal. Um, and I, I feel that coming from a, con a construction background, I felt that by the time it got to construction, the consultants have, had done a whole lot of work. The project's either gone good or bad. People have either got good or bad relationships. More often it was bad by that point, people were over it. So um, keeping the team morale up and, and working together to find outcomes and you know chase every rabbit down every hole and being really collaborative um, is really, really key for us and that's what we try and drive and we see as a key part of our role and we always say to our team that is our role, is to, to be a really positive member of the team that really picks everyone up and you know, makes sure that everyone's getting heard. So I think for, 
for uh, all the planners out there to contribute to that process is a, is a really big, big part of um, making a successful team. And Pete, your favourite question. What are you, what are you reading? What am I re reading? Reading, well, listening. Well, Jess, I'm I'm travelling to the states also a little bit later on, and I'm using the internet, of course, to research. But I'm also listening to podcasts. I'm going to South Carolina. I'm going to Nashville and things like that. So I'm actually going to meet up with the planners over in Charleston, so that Jess and I can interview interview them over the internet. So I'm just the power of just information availability, and uh, so and, and and just researching the history and what goes on in other places. It's just fascinating. And I've also got a trip to Japan, so I'm doing the same for that. So, And what about you, Jess? I have no travel plans. Isn't that sad at the moment? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm really excited for next week. Our company, um, Track Consultants, has our biannual, biannual um, forum away. So we're going down to Lawn for two days, um, doing a program called Thrive, which is looking at ourselves and looking at our, at our relationships and... Um, Working on that, so really that excited sounds, for that. That sounds terrific. It and uh, Jess, this is our 50th interview. Such a special occasion. We're off to the wine bar after this, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Which is where we first met. Which is where we first <laughs> met. Back where you started. <laughs> so, listeners, thanks again so much for taking the time out to listen in your busy lives to our podcast. And um, we're very excited, aren't we, Jess, about what we're going to produce them the yeah, next what next, next hey? what, what next so thanks very much olivia and thanks again jess thank you thank you, thank you.